Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Sal Capaccio along with you today until 3 p.m. We got one hour down, four to go. Thanks for uh, saddling up and riding with me. Stay inside today even more so than you normally should with this situation we have going on because it's going to be some nasty wild weather out there. There's no reason to go out. Obviously, we are trying to flatten the curve anyway, but today's weather will allow us to stay inside even more so or at least tell us to stay inside even more so than we already should. We've seen some nasty weather already down south, and a lot of that's headed this way. That's where my next guest is, by the way. He used to be up in Buffalo. Yesterday, I tweeted out to please forgive me, Bills fans, because I'm going to have on a very polarizing guest. And now he joins me on the Western Hotline. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the return of Mike Rodak, former ESPN employee covering the Bills. He was the Bills beat reporter for ESPN. He now works at AL.com down in Alabama covering Alabama Crimson Tide Sports. But, uh, Mike, honestly, it's really great to talk to you. I hope you and your family are doing well, man. Yeah, you too. Hope everything is going well back up there. I'm sure it's been a, uh, a trying you know month or so up there. Yeah, it is. And I told people also on the air today that they can't hate you too much because you married a UB girl and then you have a family <laughs> with her, so your child has UB bull blood in it now. And him, that's true. He was born in Buffalo. And that that's right. Change. So there you go. All he right. He might be a uh, might be Alabama raised, but he was he was Buffalo born. Well, maybe I don't know if he'll become a Bills fan or not. And Jeremy White wanted me to ask you, tongue in cheek, obviously, but he wanted me to ask you, how do you actually, how can you stay on your Bills hate covering uh, Alabama from all the way down there and still find time for your Bills hate? I have way too many Twitter alerts. I, I, honestly, <laughs> I might have a problem. I, I've been told I have a problem. I think it was 87 at last check accounts that I have alerts for. Oh my um, gosh. Across a lot of different spectrums. I mean, you know, weather people and news people and you know, all different markets. So well, you're still that, connected. Really, yeah, it's my, it's my drug. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I have to check my phone. <laughs> all right, Mike. So I do want to ask you, we're going to get into the Alabama guys in a little while, but let's have some fun. Um, let's talk about your time covering the Bills because obviously as soon as your name gets brought up, a lot of Bills fans just immediately go, oh my God, that's the guy that hated our team and he came from New England and he loves the Patriots and all he did was negative stuff. Um, how? What years, to refresh everybody, what years did you cover the Bills for ESPN? So I started in 2013, the first week of training camp that week. So it was E.J. Manuel, Kevin Cobb, and it was even before Thad Lewis. It was Jeff Toole, who was our third quarterback in camp. So that's how, uh, that's how long ago it was, in a sense, and how much has changed since. But 2013 through, uh, obviously, 20, 
18 would have been my last year and then going into the summer of, of last year is when I left. You did. You you were here for uh, the one playoff appearance that wound up breaking the drought. But by and large, you were here during what we all know as the playoff drought and what was going on. You were at the tail end of it. So you didn't see many really good teams. But, you know, you're trying to do your job here covering the team. And people kind of view that through a prism of, oh, he hates us. What was it like for you? On a daily basis, just trying to stay on task and knowing that all that noise was around you for people, you know, clamoring for maybe you covering the team in a different way. How do you try to not, you know, buy into that, basically? It's a good question. It never really bothered me. I mean, I never, you know, I, I saw some of it, obviously, and we laughed about it, but it never, you know, I didn't go home thinking about it. And that's really what you have to do. I mean, it's a job for us. It's whether I'm covering Alabama or the Patriots or the Bills or, you know, the Minnesota Twins or, you know, Seattle Seahawks, whatever, right. like it's a job. Um, so that's, you kind of have to approach it that way. And, um, you know, it's, again, I never really felt pressure from anybody uh, from ESPN. I, I've never had a single instance of anybody at ESPN saying, oh, you need to do X, Y, or Z differently. Um, so, you know, when you have the back of your employer, you know, I think that certainly helps. And, um, you know, people can tweet and, and write or, you know, put comments on the website how much they, they want. But at the end of the day, it's just me writing a story and I'll do it the, the best way I can um, and, and be as fair as I can. And again, I, I I think I did that, you know, in six years of being there. Were you a blocker or muter on Twitter? Did you block a lot of people, mute a lot of people or just let it go? Not really, because I feel like that, that almost plays into them a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people who just want the attention, um, want the the interaction and the, the, the banter and the back and forth. And maybe at first, um, you know, the first couple of years, but I think you learn just to, to let it go. You know, so the last couple of years, I, again, there's so much on my timeline. Sometimes you scroll through your right. notifications, you might see a thing here and there, but um, you know, if there's a tweet that got picked up and there's lots and lots of people liking it or whatever, responding to it, you're not going to see everything. Did so you ever, if somebody says something, there's a decent, decent chance you're not going to see it. No, that's right. Did you ever, like, did anybody ever, like, do you ever feel a, a real sense of, like, someone was super angry, like a threat of some sort? Did people ever, like, physically threaten you? Or at any point did you think, oh, my God, like, this person really wants to meet me in the parking lot of One Bill's Drive and beat me up? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the people who were, uh, <laughs> I never physically, like, felt threatened. I never had anybody come to my house or, um, you know, fi- contact me some other way than social media. I had some people find me on Facebook. But uh-huh. that's not terribly hard to do, and, right. and send messages to me on Facebook. And um, yeah, I mean, there was never really an instance of uh, I felt actually threatened and I had to go to somebody. I, I did actually have there's somebody on Twitter who was um, an imposter, shall we say? You know, somebody who creates a fake account, right? And they had been tweeting some other things in their account that got the attention of the New York State Police. Wow! <laughs> but it was under it was under my name and my picture, but somebody else. You know, faking it. So, so what happened there? Did the, did the police contact the you? Police. They did. Yeah, they did. And I uh, just wanted to know if I knew who it was. And I said, look, I don't. It's not me. But wow. um, I have no idea who it is. And I had a, a little bit of an idea based on some of the accounts that they were following. But, yeah, I mean, there's people out there who just don't, I guess, have to don't feel like doing anything else in the, in the <laughs> I know. It's important thing to them where it's like, yeah, we got to go out and have some fun on Twitter. So, well, look, and I, that went beyond fun. I mean, that was some yeah. threatening language. I think, again, that got the attention of authorities. So, um, like, 
did you can you share like at all did you get any people how personal did people get with you like on a on a daily basis like were you scrolling through like oh my god like here's another person talking about you know things that super inappropriate like was that like a daily occurrence or just say you know what it was a lot of hate people didn't like me but it really didn't get to that level all that much yeah i don't think it really did even when i would see people in person and that definitely happened too where you know you'd be out at a restaurant or concert or whatever and you know people would run into you um, not just like Bills games. I mean, Bills games definitely you get it because that's you know you're you're sort of at ground zero. But mm-hmm. you know, Canal Side or some other restaurant or whatever, um, you'd have people come up and just say, "Yeah, you know, I, I make fun of you on Twitter. I, I give you crap on Twitter, but you know, I think you do a good job, et cetera. Like, nice to meet you." So people kind of back down, I think, when it's in person. You know, it's not just hiding behind a keyboard. And I think you also realize, from my perspective too, that people are just having fun with it. And you uh, have a case. lot, and you have a lot more I'm to lose. Ahead. You have a lot more to lose than these people. Obviously, you have your employer is monitoring. They know you can't react in certain ways. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. We a lot. We just can't do that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's everybody. Every media company now has a social media policy where the number one rule is just not to react, uh, not to respond. Don't read the comments is really what they say. And in mm-hmm. fact, a lot of these websites have taken away the comments. I know ESPN did. I think mm-hmm. two years ago, and AL.com just took away the comments couple months ago um so there's no comments anymore on the stories and to be honest that's it's probably for the better former espn bills beat reporter mike rodak joining me on the wester hotline i remember being at the meadowlands for a game uh we are lining up pre-game you're there i'm there media people are there lining up waiting for the bills to come out of the tunnel or at least you know during pre-game warm-ups or whatever there was a fan standing above the tunnel that said to me sal Go punch Rodak. Sal, go punch Rodak. And, like, I walked up to you, like, teasing you, and I was, like, pretending to punch you in the stomach. And I think the person was literally mad at me that I didn't actually punch you in the face or something. Right. Oh, yeah. That's You, you kind of see where the line is for some people. Right. Because I think some people just would joke about it. And then there's also some people who, you know, physically would want to actually do it. <laughs> and that's, like, one of the things, too. Like, I always felt walking through the parking lots, and I, I know they wanted me to do a story one time of, like, the tailgates at the New York Field. And... I was like, eh, you know, you mix alcohol in some cases with, with some people. And again, 95% of the people might be fine, but there right. might be a couple of people out there who physically might throw something at you or, or you know, create some sort of confrontation. I just I didn't want any part of that. No, not at all. And it obviously wasn't all bad. We don't want to paint that picture. Uh, there are a lot of Bills fans that really right. appreciated your coverage, and I'm sure you heard from them as well. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, there's there's lots of people, especially when I left, too. <laughs> Again, maybe that's right. you know, because I left. But, no, but yeah, you, um, there was an outpouring of, "Hey, man, thanks for doing what you did," and you know, we right. we we some. I think I think Mike. Part of the thing is, you know, you were here for a good what six years. You said right. So, mm-hmm. yep. I think you know people grew up too. There are a lot of people that grew up through it through that time and maybe got mature and understood what your job was. I would hope so. Yeah, and that's the thing too. You never really know on Twitter um, how old people are. I remember as a kid, like I would be. This was before Twitter. Um, this would be like you know message boards and. I would be emailing reporters, and I remember emailing Rich Samini one time, you know, the Jets guy for ESPN, but something he wrote that I thought was wrong or inaccurate, and it was an angry email. Um, I never told him this, but, you know, I was probably 12 years old at the time, 10 years old, and, you know, here I am writing some reporter and acting like I know everything, and now, you know, 15 years later, 10 years later, I yeah. I know Rich, and I think he's a great guy, and we have a great relationship, and Again, he doesn't know about that, but um, <laughs> might that's the thing where I think you, you grow up, and especially when you go from um, just being a sports fan to, to actually being in the business and right. being a reporter and kind of seeing things from a much different 
side, um, it really changes your your perspective on uh, the job we do and the job everyone does in the industry. And, uh, you know, I, I often compare it to being on our team ourselves, even though we might be competitors in this business, whether it's TV news, uh, you know, paper, radio, magazine, whatever, we're down there together. We're all grinding. We're all trying to do our job. And, you know, that that's the part of it, too, that I would give you a chance to speak on here to say that if you missed and, you know, being a part of the Bills beat community, basically. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of, um, you know, lifelong friends that I, I certainly met there. And um, yeah, it's it. I don't want to make it too political, but like it's you go to the White House briefing room and you know, those people that might be from different outlets, but they all sort of have the same goal or the right. same idea, which is to get the truth out from the person in power. And, you know, not to compare politics and sports, but it's it's similar for us sitting in that room. We all might be from different outlets, but our job is the same. Our, our What we're trying to do is the same. So there is a certain level of solidarity there, at least in, in some cases. Uh, you know, there's certainly... <laughs> There's there's beefs, you know, here and there we certainly know about in that room. But, um, yeah, you know, I definitely miss it. Uh, at the same time, it's it's not all that different, you know, in Alabama um, where, you know, there's big outlets covering Alabama football. Obviously, it's, it's the biggest story down here. And um, it's the same sort of idea, you know, where we're trying to get something out of Nick Saban. And there's a certain, you know, level of solidarity between us in trying to do that. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, you know, we spent time in the media room together as well. And, you know, I appreciate everything that uh, you brought to the table and so many other colleagues. And I keep telling people during this pandemic, that's actually what I'm missing the most. I know that, you know, maybe it's because we haven't played football games yet, but I miss being around the people that, you know, cover and just just laughing and talking about our golf game or making fun of it or whatever. That's just what we do. Yeah, this this time of year, I mean, normally – well, I guess there would be spring practice in the college level. Right. But, you know, generally these months of the year are when we are at home. Mm-hmm. And then re- the sort of this reconvening at the draft where, you know, we're back in the saddle and we, we're back in the media room and, you know, things seem like normal again. Um, so I guess that's maybe the, the silver lining that um, of, of this whole pandemic is that it's, it's hitting during a time when we'd be at home anyway, as opposed to hitting during football season when I think would be taken away more of our daily life, of course, but not, you know, to make it all about us. But, um, you know, this is a time when I think we'd be sheltered in place, right. you know, to begin with. Uh, what's it like covering Nick Saban now? Uh, you mentioned him, and, you know, you obviously grew up watching Bill Belichick and winning Super Bowls, and you know what kind of person he is. Uh, he is very good friends with Nick Saban. We know that. Now you're covering it from that angle. Two of the greatest coaches ever, both cut from the same cloth, one professional, one college. What's it like covering them? Yeah, it was awkward. I actually um, so that there's a radio show that Saban does every week down here, and they basically have a different media guest each week for the hour. And you know, you're there to ask questions with him, along with the the radio play-by-play guy uh, Eli Gold, who asks questions too. And one of the first ones when Saban sat down next to me was, you know, can you compare Belichick and Saban? Having covered both of them, it was a little strange. So I wanted to say, you know, Saban's pretty tough, but he's sitting right next to me. I can't really say that. Um, but really, I, I do think they're a little bit different. I mean, Saban definitely will come after you, uh, but Belichick does it in a different way where he's just not going to answer the question. You know, you ask him a question he doesn't like, and he's just going to give you a sort of a grunt or two-word response or whatever. Saban will, he will answer the question. Like, he will give you an answer, but if he doesn't like the way you asked it or the phrasing of it or if he wants to speak to his team, through his answer, 
then he's just going to go on a rant and you're sort of going to be the, the subject of it, which hasn't happened to me yet. <laughs> um, but I've, I've certainly seen it happen to other people in the room. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a strange, strange feeling, but, um, I do think he, he's, he's better to cover in a sense, just because you get more information out of him. And it's, I mean, it, it is tricky. And I, I don't want to, you know, compare it's apples to oranges because, for example, at Alabama, they, they call on you. Right. And if the SID doesn't like you or doesn't like the questions that you've asked <laughs> in the past, then they won't call on you. Oh. So you won't get to ask a question of Nick Saban, which has never been the case in the NFL level. Uh, it's not allowed to be the case. There's rules against it. But those rules aren't in place in college, and your access to players is much different. There's no open locker room. Um, you know, they give you the players that they, they want to talk that they want you know to talk to you, not the players that you want to talk to. So it's different. Um, but I do think at the end of the day, you're probably going to get more quotes and more information out of Saban than I would have gotten back in New England from Belichick. In, a, in about a half hour, I'm going to have uh, Jeremy White join me. We're going to talk about some of the uh, cool shows we've watched during the pandemic, and I'm going to let the cat out of the bag on one of them. I watched Belichick and Saban, The Art of Coaching on HBO. I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was amazing watching these guys and learning about their philosophies. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to watch it, but you really do see how they are so, so similar in so many ways. Yeah, yeah, I actually did. Um, I had to talk to the uh, the producer for it. Um, we did a story on it for our website, and yeah, it was very well done. Um, you know, there's some. I don't know if there's a ton of new things in there because we've all mm-hmm. we all know that they're best friends and we kind of know their their shared background. But just seeing them yeah. interact in situations where you're thinking, "Oh man, I wish I could listen and just be a fly in the wall and listen to those guys," and being able to do that, I think was was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I it's, it's I don't know if Saban would work as an NFL coach. And we've seen it, I guess, right. not work out for two years in Miami. I don't know if Belichick would work at the college level because of the recruiting aspect of it. Um, so I, I think they're both very good where they are. I don't know if you would flip if you would flip them, you know, if they would be as successful as they have been. But who knows? It'd be, it'd be an interesting, you know, one day April Fool's thing for for Belichick to walk to the podium in Alabama and Saban to walk in New England if they ever were up for it. Mike Rodak joining me on the Western Hotline. You couldn't escape Buffalo sports completely because Nate Oates goes down to Alabama right around the same time you are. Uh, he coached, obviously, the UB Bulls. Really, really very successful here, taking them to the tournament. Um, what's it been like covering Nate Oates down there in Alabama? He's been awesome. Um, I mean, I, I, I've never really covered college basketball before, but we, like for both of us, I mean, you, you have the Syracuse connections. Yep. Uh, I went to Providence. Like College basketball is sort of the yep. – the way of the world in the Northeast. And it's not in a lot of cases down here, but it's given me the opportunity to actually cover it now, which is nice. Um, and especially like I talked about that dead period after football season, um, you know, before the draft, before training camp, where normally I'd be at home in a lot of cases in January, February, and into March, uh, I was covering basketball, which I really liked. And, and Oates makes it really easy. I mean, he's the most accessible coach I've, I've ever covered. You can ask him any question. He'll go on and on and on and on, um, which is tough to transcribe and, you know, put a quote in a story sometimes. But, like, he'll give you minutes and minutes of answers and brutal honesty, which is nice um, because there was ups and downs for their season last year. And uh, when they were doing well, he praised his guys. And when they weren't, he he really ripped into some of them. And uh, that was nice to see. And you never really felt intimidated, you know, asking him questions, even if it was – 
asking him about a player who had a bad game or just the overall situation for the team. Like, he would be there and he would take the question, he would answer it, he would answer it honestly. So that's been really nice. And I think people are sort of trying to buy into Alabama basketball. I mean, it's, it's been a program which, aside from the Colin Sexton year a couple of years ago when they went to the second round of the tournament, has really not done a whole lot you know, for a little while here. And people kind of tune out. I think every year they, they think, you know, Kentucky's sort of got the conference and mm-hmm. not much is going to change. But you, know, you you saw people trying to buy in last year. and They had a great game against Auburn at home where the place was packed and you felt like it was a great basketball atmosphere. And, you know, they knocked off Auburn. I think they ranked number four in the country at the time. They went to Auburn. There was another great game down there. Great basketball atmosphere. I mean, Auburn's a school that's really put it together as a football school you know, that's now doing well in basketball. And I think Nate sees potential for Alabama to do the same. Again, people are going to tune out if he doesn't make it happen. But if he can kind of get people to buy in, then there's a chance. And he, I mean, he's put together a great recruiting class. The last two weeks, I think he's gotten four or five commitments. And I think he's ranked 15th in the country right now going to next year. So um, there's definitely, you know, a chance that they, they make some noise next year in the SEC and, you know, there's an opportunity for him to really, you know, build something here where there's certainly the money. I mean, there's not a, a huge shortage of that. And so they already have a, a pretty good practice facility. Their their actual arena could use a lot of work, um, but there's momentum and there's, you know, certainly the funds and the resources around here um, for that to happen. <clears throat> and I think if it does, then, you know, Nate certainly has a chance to be here for a while. Again, if he can kind of keep people engaged and and keep things moving in the right direction. Well, obviously, we think of Alabama, we think of football first, and we know that they have every year tons of NFL prospects. This year is no different. So before I let you go, give me your thoughts on some of these guys. Let's start with Tua, um, you know, the injury situation, what you project him to be in the NFL given his size, his injury situation, and his talent. Yeah, it's been a rough couple weeks for him where people kind of have come out and and really questioned his health. I mean, Mike Lombardi came out last week and, said he wouldn't take him. Mike Tannenbaum said it would be irresponsible to take him in the top 10. But before that, it was a lot of positive news for him where, you know, we all saw the injury, you know, back in November where he dislocated his hip. It seemed pretty dire at the time. We were questioning his, his career. And for him to be back to where he is now in four months, it's pretty remarkable. And it's really to the point where if you talk to anybody around him, there's not a huge amount of concern about the hip. Even Lombardi and Tannenbaum seem to acknowledge that uh, their concern was just about the next injury and what what's his durability like and you know look if, if he continues trying to make plays where he shouldn't and that's basically what happened with some of the injuries that he's had you know he's been rolling out and trying to extend plays and keep it alive and that's when he's gotten hit if he can avoid doing that and I don't think he's going to be necessarily injury prone um, you know I don't think the hip injury means he's going to have another hip injury down the road the doctors don't say there's really that, that correlation so if he can avoid any of that, then as a player, I think he's fine. I, people are going to point to the height, and then people are going to point to Drew Brees and Russell Wilson as being shorter quarterbacks who have made it work. I think he can certainly be in that category. You know, I remember Brian Dayball talking to him in Buffalo about Tua. Like he, he has some pretty, you know, he thinks Tua is a, pr- a pretty damn good player. Um, so, you know, I, I think he can make it happen. He's accurate. Um, you know, he, he's had certainly a good cast around him in Alabama, um, but he's probably going to have a pretty decent cast around him in the NFL too. I mean, with NFL caliber wide receivers like he's had down here. So if he doesn't go in the top five, I'd be surprised. 
And if he doesn't, then I think there's going to be teams trading up uh, in, in the bottom half of the top 10 to try to get him. Judy and Ruggs, um, obviously two of the best in the game in college football, such a great wide receiver core, as you said. Do they need to be in certain offenses to really flourish, or could they pretty much go anywhere, and how do you separate the two? I'd say Judy probably has a better chance to be more of the all-around receiver who you can kind of plug into different roles, and he can do certain things for you. Um, I mean, Ruggs definitely comes out of that more of the, the speed mold, and I think the floor for him would be what we saw to T.J. Graham or Marquise Goodwin, where you know straight line speed is awesome, but for whatever other reason, it just didn't really come together for them. So I think that's that's potential for Ruggs. And I was a little bit concerned by him. He had a hip injury. I think it was the fourth or fifth week of the season. Where after that, he just never seemed to be the same. Like he was he was jammed off the line, I think, and got a hip contusion, and just wasn't really the same receiver. You know, the last two months of the season. Um, that would be my concern with him. You know, can he do more than just be a speed guy? And there's certainly people out there who believe that he can. Judy's more of the all-around guy. Doesn't really have an overwhelming trait to him. And that's, I guess, the question with him is, you know, can he be a dominant receiver without doing one one thing particularly, you know, exceptionally well? I think route running might be his, his best shot at that. So, I don't. Neither of the neither of those guys are going to be obviously in the Bills' range in the second round. They're going to be long, long right. gone by then. Um, but I think anywhere they go, they they'll have a pretty decent chance to be successful. I just don't know if they're slam dunk picks by any means. They're not Julio Jones and they're not Amari Cooper. And then one guy I want to ask you about before I let you go, who very well could be in the Bills' spot at fifty-four, is the brother of the wide receiver they just acquired, Stephon Diggs. His brother is Trayvon Diggs, a cornerback. A lot of people think, and the Bills could wind up, you know, drafting this player. Tell us a little bit about Trayvon. Yeah, I, I think he, he fits the mold of an NFL corner, and that's really just you watch him and he seems like he should be playing in the league. Did he have a great year last year? Meh. I, I think he really struggled against LSU, and that, a lot of people were watching that game. There's a lot of scouts in the press box. Bean and uh, Joe Shane were in the press box. So, you know, they saw him up close, and he really had some issues with Jamar Chase, who, you know, was probably the best receiver in college football last year, you know, at LSU. But, if you kind of put that game aside, you know, the rest of the year he, he did pretty well. Um, is he going to be, again, the dominant prospect where there's not a whole lot of question about him? No. But if he is in the second round, he falls, you know, to that middle part of the second round. And I've seen him as high as the mid-20s, so he could be long gone by 54. But, yeah, I think that would be a decent pick. I mean, he's, he's a longer corner. Um, he's not the fastest guy in the world. I think the comparison I saw on him was Keeb Tlaib. So he's, you know, he'd be in a different mold than um, than Tre'Davious White, probably a different mold than even you know, some of the other corners in the roster, Levi Wallace, and they brought in what Josh Norman and, and EJ Gaines. So, you know, do, do they need a, a corner right now? Maybe, um, but I think he'd, he'd be a good value pick at 54 if he is still on the board. Mike, thanks for doing this, having some fun, obviously, but also just giving us some information. It's really, it's great to catch up with you. Great to connect, and um, really appreciate you coming on today, buddy. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, no problem. And stay safe out there with your family, and uh, all my best and all of our best to you. Will do. Same to you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 